Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Hello, this is George Williman from uh, Filmically Perfect. And today, before we begin our show, I just wanted to uh, dedicate this program to my dad, Russ Williman, who taught me the meaning of art and supported all my early interests in the history of film. His guidance made my life anything but ordinary, and I love him dearly for that. Thanks, Dad, and God bless. And now, here's Filmically Perfect. know it's going to be good when it starts like that. This is Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Good afternoon. I'm Nikki Dakota, and we are joined by the film guys. First, the uh, not-so-long distance, this time moving his operation to one of the Carolinas we have on the telephone, J. Todd Anderson, the storyboard artist, to all the big stars, the Coen brothers, and then some. J. Todd, welcome. Hello, Nikki Dakota. <laughs> I'm in Greenville, South Carolina, working on Leatherhead, George Clooney's new epic football adventure in the 20s <laughs> and it's going to be good let me tell you this is a great picture that's coming out it'll probably make our lesson about 10 years you know, right? because we have to pass it through the board and everything like that <laughs> also joining us live in the studio today george williman the nitrate film archivist for the library of congress of local uh, the local newspaper noteworthiness with his photo in there this week and uh, we're so pleased to welcome george williman thanks for being here uh, well, uh, actually, Nikki, uh, hello. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Together they're known as the Film Guys, and we gather here today to celebrate a Jerry Lewis classic. It is the it Nutty is. Professor. And i got to say something, Nikki. Yeah. Right out of the box. This is a great movie, but I'm telling you, I know Russ Willman, and Russ Willman is one of the finest artists I've ever met, and he thinks this is the perfect movie. Can I can I say that, George? Do you think? Uh, you he thinks de- I think he did. In fact, it was his. Uh, he he's the one that told me about it in the first place. This one's for you, Russ, ago. baby. I'm telling you, you're with us here. <laughs> I want to say something that um, that I think we'll find also of the fans of uh, the Three Stooges is that everyone mentioned so far as liking this movie is a man. Okay, now let's also mention, before we get started, that uh, The Nutty Professor was redone yes. with a great fanfare oh, by Mr. Eddie Murphy. And you have to, I have to wonder. Big um, grown. Yeah, he doesn't remake Robert Louis Stevenson's The Strange Case of uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. No, he has to remake The Nutty Professor, you know? The only value that's in that name is because Jerry Lewis did it first, you know, and then he just adapted it from Robert Louis Stevenson, but at least he was honest about it, you know? Yeah, he was. In fact, he, you know, was really affected by uh, the Jekyll and Hyde and thought over a period of time, I mean, as a young man, it really had a, a, an imprint on him. He thought, I can do it, but funny and not funny. Well, so. you know, it's just as valid as a comedy as it is as a straight movie. I mean, it's been done scad at times, hasn't it, George? You know? uh, yeah, I mean, going way back to the yeah. uh, the early teens, I mean, it was one of the first major stories to actually be filmed, and there's at least four or five silent versions of it. So the the, the notion uh, is certainly uh, something that's like of opposites that uh, was taken by Jerry Lewis, who not just acted, you know, starred in this, he, right. he, directed. he wrote, and it, wrote it, directed, produced. Well, he lifted it from Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah. So. Freely adapted. And it, you know, it fits into all of our rules because it's a perfect film. (laughs) (laughs) 
But we also need we need to uh, bring up the old spoiler alert if we've got that available. Yes, indeed. Because if there's anyone out there who actually hasn't seen this movie, we have to mention the ending uh, to, to bring this thing to fruition. So yeah. there you go. Yes. Shall we do the rules? There we go. Well, our first rule, as always, is these films create the world they exist in. Yes, and... and uh, they wholly sustain that world. <laughs> and regardless of changes in society, they retain their meaning and entertainment value. And these perfect films, these perfect films are never, never numerically rated one better than another. Right. They are all perfect within their scale, and they probably always will be perfect unless, you know, a meteor hits the earth and changes you know, things. So. And I think it would be kind of a moot point at that. Yes, at that it would be. Junction. <laughs> And that would mean that George and I would have to go through all these films and start watching them, you know, again. So that would be light. I have to say that my horizons have been just uh, continually and repeatedly broadened by our journey thus far. And um, <laughs> I have to tell you what, I did, I, well, okay. After I watched the behind-the-scenes features on this, I began to sort of have an understanding for truly the comic genius of Jerry Lewis. He I think is a comic genius. It is true, but this film, okay, first of all, it, it's cartoonish, which I, the more I thought of it, at first I didn't think like it. Think what you just said, Nikki. Yes. Think what you just said. At first, film. yes. Now, everybody <laughs> knows that we make movies and the French make films. <laughs> But the you know, French love Jerry Lewis. They, yeah, and I have actually. They, see, you're already you're already becoming an aficionado here because you no, said this film. It, it is very interesting. <laughs> Just one second, please. It's very interesting that the the reason that I have discovered and why I think the the French admired Jerry Lewis so much. If you look, it was the group, the the Cahiers de Cinema group, um, the the new wave French people, French directors, and the reason was because Jerry Lewis was seen as as an auteur, which was their big. Their big thing. He was a total controller of his product. And at this point in his career, he was. I mean, he was Paramount's number one star. They gave him carte blanche. I mean, the fact that he was, you know, he color and, and the best equipment. He was and about 37 years old. He was 37 about years old when he did this and, and had pretty much you know, the had Paramount at his disposal. And the fact that he still owns these films to this day, even though it they shows he's amazing. a sharp cookie, yeah. Yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. astounding. Yeah, yeah. That Paramount astounding. would allow him to go to that length where they did not control the product anymore, and he did is really amazing. So, and this is a very, very controlled film. Regardless of all the goofy gags and the Jerry Lewis, it's still a very controlled film. It is. It starts out with all these colors. You get this, uh, you know, beautiful. The beautiful credit scene. It is. And and by the way, I happened to notice because I watched this several times, thinking I surely must be missing something. There's something here that I'm missing. Why does this not strike me as brilliant as it does so many other people? So I watched it over, and um, the colors really are amazing. It starts out with all the beakers and showing the science lab for the for the professor side of uh, Jerry. Lewis's character, and also I noticed, and I don't know if you did too, that the the main colors in this that dominate everything are red, white, and turquoise in everything, just in every scene. There, I don't like, know. I think purple has something to do with the evil side. Well, yeah, of. but well, the purple pit, yeah, the purple pit where they all meet. Let's um, just quickly, George, if you could give us a little overview of the basic action in this film. Oh well, certainly. Uh, <laughs> Uh, basically, his story. George loves to do Jerry Lewis, man. <laughs> hey, good George, at it. can you do yeah. a little bit of it like Jerry Lewis? That'd be cool. Uh, well, yeah. well, anyways, uh, <laughs> the story is about this uh, this professor, you see, uh, <laughs> Julius Kelp, <laughs> and um, he's a chemistry professor. And 
and he discovers this this uh, this uh, well uh, actually this um, okay I can't do that anymore <laughs> it takes too long he discovers this this um, this mixture that that changes him into another personality and the one reason he wants to do this is because he's he's constantly picked on yeah uh, by the, the students only Carl Atlas story only it's yeah. Vic in this he's a big movie. geek right. as the professor uh, he, right he tries to go to Vic Tanny and that that's a big failure so he he tries since he knows chemistry he says you know through chemistry maybe I can come up with something. So he does. He manages to change himself into this very handsome but overbearing and kind of greasy character whom he calls – whom he ends up naming Buddy Love. <laughs> which, so of course, funny. Is, is totally you – know, he has no name for him, but it kind of comes to him through different, different sources. Buddy Love. But his, his real reason for doing this is because he's got stars in his eyes for one of his students – Whose name is Stella Purdy? It's played by Stella Stevens. Stella Stevens, and it's interesting. He must have had a thing for Stella because the music that we play at the beginning of this sh- of this program, which is the opening music from the movie, is the song "Stella" by Starlight. Uh huh. Um, so, anyways, uh, Stella just loathes Buddy Love, but she is strangely attracted to him, and even she says a couple times she doesn't understand why she'll have anything to do with him because he's a creep. He's a creep, and he drinks, and he's just kind of tacky, he's rude, and, and he's And that's awful. what all women want. Isn't that true, Nikki? <laughs> you know, I have seen that it just present itself over and over. It is strange. Uh, not just girls. Sometimes guys are attracted How to the many bad times girls, have you heard too. Somebody say, you know, he, he beats her, and he's mean to her, and rotten to her, but she keeps going back to him. And vice versa. Listen, there's this aspect in us that, that like, the dangerous Deep person is attractive. Everyone's soul. There, yeah. There's evil seeds that can be watered. <laughs> and you, too, can become buddy love. Buddy love. That's <laughs> the essence of the Stevenson novel. Well, yeah, and, and as with the Stevenson novel, um, Professor Kelp discovers that this this chemical is very, is very strange, and, and it'll wear off at the wrong time, as it continually yeah. does, and he'll begin to revert. Back. But he becomes himself. Right, that's, he, he becomes that's the scary part. Right, and there, there's a, even a point where he's doing a class, and all of a sudden, Buddy Love starts coming out. So and the, he has to the reverse, that. right, right. So eventually, as it goes along, and at the very end, he has a problem because Buddy Love is supposed to perform at the big prom, the big college senior prom. Which, and, by which, the way, yes, my wife brought that up too. Though. Those what people, a, a senior prom, prom at a college, and plus all the actors are in their 30s and 40s. Yes, yeah. it's the oldest. This is like a remedial, <laughs> it's a remedial prom, college. Man. It's a remedial Also, you know, the transformation, you know, I, that transformation it looks very much like a Jackson Pollock kind of painting, don't you think, George? Yes, well, yeah, especially all the chemistry. And that's, I think that's part of it. Again, it's his love of color. And so throughout the transformation, um, color becomes more and more prominent. His face, his face changes colors. Yeah. At one point, he looks like a, a kabuki actor. And, and then he spills all the chemicals, <laughs> and they all be, and he way, wallers around in the color on the floor. Um, but at the end of the movie, he's got this problem because Professor Kelp is supposed to be a, a, a – a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? At the – Watching over the students uh, at the dance. Uh, 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 chaperone. Chaperone, there we go. And, uh, and, but Buddy Love is supposed to perform. So he gets back to his, his um, laboratory to get some more, um, some more chemical, and his bird, his, his pet uh, raven, has destroyed the recipe. So he calls his parents, um, who are shown to be his mother is extremely overbearing, and his father, played by the wonderful Howard Morris, this little, this little, little minting guy is like, oh, don't hurt me, don't Howard hurt me. Howard Morris, one of the greatest comedy actors of yeah. all time. Who I will point out plays one of my favorite, favorite comedy characters of all time, Ernest T. Bass Absolutely. on Andy Griffith's show. Anyway, same guy. Great, great and, actor. Uh, also who worked a lot with Mel Brooks. Oh, yeah, okay. Mel Brooks films. And uh, anyways, he, he has – Kelp has left the uh, formula with his parents – uh, for safekeeping. Uh, yeah, for safekeeping. So at the end, he has to call his parents and get the formula. 
So he gets a formula, quickly mixes up some some stuff, and and goes goes as Buddy Love. And right in the middle of his performance, he switches back. At that point, he realizes it's no good trying to hide it. And as he slowly changes back into kelp, he asks for forgiveness and and realizes that you know if you can't if yeah, you can't deal with yourself, yeah. makes a pretty decent speech. Yeah, really. if you can't deal with yourself, then then you're uh, you know what are you going to do? You know. And and but then he finds out that Stella liked him for who he was, and, and that's why she was attracted to the bad guy. It was the and good the guy inside. Voluptuous behind has two bottles of that formula. That's right. packed well, in the pocket. And that's a trick. At the very <laughs> at the final the final scene of the movie, he's he's in teaching class again, and he's got braces on his teeth with big buck teeth. Uh, so you know he's beginning to change, and he's got his hair combed. And uh, and Stella's there, and all of a sudden, his parents come in, and his mother is very, very changed. She's very happy to see him, and his father is just extremely Power obnoxious. at his best. And it turns out that they made some of this form of themselves, and they've developed it and turned it into this uh, kelp's tonic that, you know, if you're not happy with who you are, you can be, be somebody someone. else. Be anyone, it says. <laughs> <laughs> so... But so ultimately, I guess you know this has a, a, just a beautiful narrative. I mean, Jerry Lewis is all over the place in a lot of his movies with his gags and everything, but he manages to pound every gag that he can imagine into this film, and he sticks to the narrative because it's a great, strong story. And there you have you have this comic genius in there just taking this story and doing what he wants, running amok, renaissance. Well, you know? and that, that's what's really interesting is that up until this point, the films of his own, uh, like uh, the la- uh, the Ladies' Man and um, the Bellboy and Aaron Delicate Boy, Delinquent. Yeah, well, not Delicate Delinquent. He didn't direct that one. But oh, the ones okay. that he directed okay. himself um, are basically sort of – he comes up with a, a rough premise like a hotel, you know, the Fountain Blue Hotel or or working in a Hollywood studio. And, and then he hangs gags on it. So it's like yeah. a gag tree. And there's no real story. <laughs> there's no narrative. It's just – Bits of pieces of, of but, stuff going on. In fact, even at the beginning of the Bellboy, there's an opening sequence of Del Moore where he says, "This is a film designed just for fun. There's no story. Don't look for one." You know. And yeah. but this film marked a, a change in his whole attitude in that it's the I think it's the first of his films to actually have a story that carries from beginning to end. Very strong story. Right, a strong story that has funny bits in it. Now right. you know, don't be deceived by the funny bits here, folks. Don't be deceived. See- don't be deceived because behind some of these gags is some really amazing, you know, cinematic kind of form. And one of the, my favorite ones is where he sees Stella walking away, who's played by, you know, uh, uh, Stella Stevens. And uh, she was one of the most photographed women of the last century. She was voted one She's of She's beautiful. She and really is she beautiful. She was also Playboy January 1960. Nah, so she nah. was a big deal, man. She was right up there with. Uh, Jacqueline Bobby R. Kennedy, Marilyn Monroe, Bridget Burday, um and Margaret and Raquel Welch as being yeah. one of the most photographed women of all time. But anyway, she's walking away, and she looks drab. And then we, Jerry Lewis takes you into this daydream that he has. It's marvelous. <laughs> and she transforms herself into all these different, different right, costumes. At, at one point, she looks like, like a Greek goddess. And the amazing part of the whole thing is, is he has this stream of people coming in the door. And yeah. he, he, he uh, distracts you to the point where you're in that daydream with him. Very right. slick work. That was slick. I didn't, I didn't appreciate that, but you're right. Because the people keep walking by, walking by, walking by. It gives you sort of like a repetition to sort of uh, to, uh, yeah, hone in Yeah, there's like the bowling pins in there and everything. But that is one of those slickest cinema pieces I've ever seen. You know, I, I think, remember that when George and I were in college, Dr. Charles Derry showed us this movie, and uh, we've never forgotten it since. Well, that's the, the, and I was going to mention that too. That that actually that class that we had at Rice State was one of the one of the reasons I think I actually appreciate Jerry Lewis so much more, and I wish more people could. 
critique this class. It was a class in comparative cinema, and we were comparing the work of Jerry Lewis with the Spanish director, Louis Buñuel. And it was so, great. It was one of, my, wow. one of the best classes. I mean, for we those, learned so those much. Those folks from out there who, who are Dr. familiar Jerry. with with Buñuel, and we do have a film of his on our list that we're going to do at some time in the future, The Exterminating Angel. Yeah, which but is uh, both of them are absurdists. Both of them, uh, you know, look down on the on the establishment and and just in, just in different fashions. But it was really fascinating. So we did have some more appreciation for for yeah. And the it, you know, back then we were talking about you know color and just all these beautiful things. But a strange thing has happened um, since it's 2007 now, and this movie is getting old, is the whole world, you can see how the whole world was before the Beatles came. That's right. They're doing jazz, and they got Les Brown, and like you said, it's the oldest prom you've ever seen. And All of a sudden, people <laughs> are buying this stuff, man. Yeah. It's, look at how he's dressed. He looks like he's going to the prom himself all the time. Buddy Love does. He's yeah. got and some the weird, <laughs> weird clothes. Thanks to, thanks hippie, to hippie, side hippie and all that kind of language and everything. If you if you look back into the 60s, after the Beatles hit, everything changed. The it did. Show. Everybody had longer hair. They had everything changed. You know, it's funny. I just happened to, they just reissued the Hootenanny series when the big folk mm-hmm. scare of the early 60s and they talked Oops. about how how the, uh, in 19, when the Beatles hit in 1964, it just ended all that. It came yeah. to an abrupt and quick look this, and don't look back like end. and 60s in this movie. And so, yeah, but this was made right there on that cusp, 1963, right. just line, before it, it came the out Beatles hit. Now, interesting. Hey, by the way, this is filmically perfect on 91.3 WYSO. We're talking yeah, about don't forget that. Jerry Lewis's The Nutty Professor. <laughs> that lady. And I've thought about it, how, how you know, Jerry Lewis, even certainly when I was growing One up. One of the greatest the comic way, geniuses of our He time. is, but he doesn't get his appreciation. I have to he say doesn't. that uh, the movie on the face of it, I did not. Uh, appreciate. And you know what, Nikki? That's why Filmically Perfect exists. We're creating awareness <laughs> for this, this this genius auteur named Jerry Lewis. Well, it was just really in watching the behind-the-scenes stuff and the extra special features that I began to get a real appreciation for the, the depth of his genius, and I will well, give you that. It's an acquired taste. It, it is, is definitely well, an acquired taste. And one thing is interesting, and I didn't really realize this until a couple years ago, one of the the, the entire film industry is, is practically indebted to Jerry Lewis because he developed Video Assist. Yeah! Which just blows my mind. And he was working on it pretty, back in the late pretty, this 50s. This 1964, let's, let's tell us. It was even before this. that. It was, it yes. was long before that. It was in the 50s the, 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 when well, he... Well, he developed it back. He started working on it back in the late 50s, and the first film he used it on was his first film, The Bellboy. Now, let's just quickly, George, can you tell us exactly what is yeah. Video Assist? Bas- basically, what Video Assist is, is a, a video camera is tied into the film camera, which allows the director to view exactly what is going on on stage, on set, while it's being shot. Now, and they can before also, they you can had to go through it. the process of developing the film, so right. you couldn't see it as you it was wait happening. For wait for dailies, which were either the you know. afternoon or the following day. But And Jerry, and this is what's really amazing, is when he was doing this film, when he did Nutty Professor and the earlier ones, they had not yet really developed a portable or a reasonably sized video recording machine. They just had the big quad machines. So he actually, to do this, set up like 23 or so video monitors all around the set. Because they couldn't so that, record the video, record. right? So that, that at any point in the, in the time he was on the set or wherever he was, he could look at a monitor and see what was going on on the stage and see if the other actor was in the right place or how it was looking or how it was shaping up. In the it's course of acting, even even himself while acting, he yes. could, there were so many that it wouldn't look unnatural that he was looking back to the same place. That is clever beyond yeah. belief. So it, really, it, it is amazing. And, and I only learned that Jerry Lewis invented video assist while watching uh, mm-hmm. the back scenes on 
on, on this movie. But if you do a little research on Jerry Lewis, you'll find out that he was quite the innovator. He was always doing something unusual and different to push, you know, to get the maximum potential on the screen. That's what he was always doing. And although it looks like mindless, stupid uh, uh, gags, they really are very and, and some of them are. He executes them, are. you know? <laughs> the squeaky well, socks, very funny. Hey, can, I, <laughs> can I ask you, um, yeah. do you know the history? What was it that broke uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis up? What was that about? They don't mention I think what. It's, I am, it's a really gray area, and I don't really want to get into it because I, I don't truly know. Yeah. But I know that um, I think it was, it was a clash of egos more than anything. The else. only yeah. thing that that has to do with this movie is the fact that Jerry Lewis kind of behaves like the Dean Martin that he could never be in this picture. Isn't that right, right George? That's what I've always heard is that, that Buddy, what, Buddy he denied Love is, that in yeah, the commentary. That, yeah. but. And hey, George, why don't you elaborate on how you think that Jerry Lewis became Buddy Love after this movie? Well, that, that's the kind of creepy thing about this movie is, 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 is seeing it, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, But seeing uh, Jerry Lewis in this film now uh, looking at, at Buddy Love and looking at, at the kind of character he became in the 70s and 80s, looking at him on talk shows and yeah, stuff like that. You watch him on those bagathons yeah. that he used to do every And, summer, and here you, know? you go. You know, here's uh, you know, Professor Kelp, who's kind of the, the, the uh, an older version of the kid, the nine-year-old kid the character. And then Buddy Love is more the Jerry that was to be in the 70s and 80s, you know, kind of kind of overly dressed and, and kind of kind of greasy, greasy <laughs> hair. I remember many times watching grease. those telephones as a kid thinking – he is that guy from Nutty Professor. I mean, it was just, he wasn't the guy from the Dean Martin movies. He was that Buddy Love guy, you know? Yeah, he did kind of come that, and it, it's, it, it's, it's kind of eerie. I also read that at the time the film came out, he would not let his small children see it uh, because his wife, his wife really liked the Kelp character, but she did not like Buddy Love, and she didn't want her kids seeing him as Buddy Love. Which I yeah, think the evil, visceral, smarmy guy. My dad's one, a jerk. Yeah, one thing I want to bring up, is is the voice the voice of Professor Kelp is really interesting and it was sort of a Jerry Lewis staple, and where he came from, where he got it from was he said back in the, in the late fifties he and Dean were coming back from a trip, and this fellow on the train came over to him and said, Ah, oh, Mister Lewis, I really want to tell you how much I enjoy. And they talked for several hours, and he just loved this voice. But he but, engaged him because he loved it. And he was right. like studying it. But let's yeah. I, I, we've got a little clip here from the movie. This is uh, after what, during Kelp's failed visit to Vic Tanny. When the uh, the the uh, wait, workout guy has knocked him to the floor and picks him up. Is that Jaws from Howard Keel? No, is it's not. This is, this is another guy. Go ahead. I'm terribly sorry, sir. Are you hurt? Uh, well, actually, uh, if you would say that a man with an ulcer had a nail in his shoe and a splinter in his finger was then struck by lightning, if you could say that that man was not hurt, then yes, you would say I'm not hurt. Yeah, so, so there you have the um, Hey, uh, you know, George, a lot of people, you know, they, 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 they just kind of kind of pass over this and gloss over it. But what Jerry Lewis did in this movie was expert comic bifurcation, you know. There's no confusion on who he is when he's Dr. Jekyll and he's Mr. Hyde. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, that a lot of people don't realize how difficult that is. But to pull that off with such solid elegance that he does in this picture is, is, is you know, not too many actors can do that with such well, – and the other thing I find really interesting about Jerry and his comedy is that, yeah, I will admit that there are things, even in this movie, that just don't work for me. I mean, things that are just kind of dumb. You're like, why do you do that? But but, he's so, but he does it so assuredly. He does, man. He really he is, does. He is and and that's the way he is in, in his best deaf. movies. He just, he just goes out. He does it. If it doesn't work, he gets up, brushes himself off, goes on. 
Now, I think later on, I mean, his star began to fade in like the mid late '60s, and those films get a little more desperate. And, and I think it was unfortunate the timing too, because the the, the cultural landscape changed so drastically with the British invasion yes. and this whole everything changed. It really did. Yeah, it really I mean, did. You watch, can you imagine like six months after watching The Nutty Professor in the theater, and when the Beatles hit? Oh, that is just so old. Now it's hard for audiences to understand that it now. Younger audiences. To me, but, yeah, it occurred to me while watching it that if instead of having Les Brown and his band of renown, that he had had something close closer to a rock and roll band backing him up that it would have changed his perception through yeah. the subsequent eras, you know? Well, I even made, I don't remember exactly where it is in the film, but there is a, a line, a joke about rock and roll, and I can't remember exactly what it is right now. Yeah, they do mention rock and roll, don't they? But there's a little bit. Times, yeah. but if it's, remember, rock and roll was pretty much stamped out by then. Right. You know, it was pretty much gone because, you know... And, and so interestingly enough, as, as he goes on from here, afterwards he does like the Patsy and the Family Jewels. It's the same thing. Rock and roll doesn't exist in those movies. No. And we – this is a kind of a build-up to our Beatles Friday we're going to do soon. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Before we check out here, i got to tell you this has one of my favorite lines in any movie. And this big guy comes over to Buddy Love who's, who's like smoking at the counter. And it, who Buddy Love is Jerry Lewis. And he goes, say, why don't you pick on somebody of your own disposition? Right. You know? <laughs> And then Buddy Rock beats him up with the open part of his hand. Yeah, slaps him around. <laughs> no punching here. It's a family yeah, movie. He really works Speaking him over which, with, a, with the open part of his hand. He's not slapping him or anything. Here's one thing that I want to address maybe about rule three of this. My heavens, the smoking in this oh, movie. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Everybody oh, smokes. It's oh, reality based. I, mean, I listen, guarantee you Eddie Murphy's movie didn't have all that smoking. It almost it. made me uncomfortable the amount of smoking in this movie. Yeah. It was okay then, though. Well, right, but I mean, it's like... Four out of five doctors wow. recommended, you know, right. for their you patients You gotta cough, smoke up. Yeah. You know, this movie was, you know, excessively appreciated, and they tried to, they probably go in there and try to digitize all that smoke out of there, because right. it's really bad influence on everybody, you know. This well, movie. I don't think you one could, the, there was so much of Let it. me add this, one of the nicest things about this film is that it is still available. It and is. just last year, Paramount brought out a new DVD of it, which is absolutely spectacular. And this is the nice thing about Jerry being the owner of his best films, is that they've been well ca- – I don't know where he's kept them, but they are well cared for. They are as beautiful. A, the as color, a film archivist, this is thing. very impressed. They are just beautiful. Man, those things are just – you just look at Stella Stevens, and it looks like yesterday. Yeah, it the really colors does. just jump right off the screen. Apparently, I was uh, looking at the behind-the-scenes stuff, and the, the uh, I think it was a director of photography who – Jerry Lewis apparently said, I want the color to pop, that in, in years from now, as you know, these sh- uh, their generation's uh, copies, oh, copies made – No, but he was saying – he was even addressing the fact that the color will probably fade over time mm-hmm. because of, uh, these are reproduced in the – you know. How however many generations from the original. But what what amazing forethought. Yeah. What do you think, George? Is that the uh, – it's not a Technicolor three-step process. It's no, no. It was, it was shot with Eastman. And Eastman? If anything, they would have done Technicolor prints of Yeah, it. Technicolor prints. If, if they're working from the negative, it's an Eastman color negative. So yeah. it's amazing. I don't know how much work they might have had to do to it to, to fix the color. But, yeah, his, the films of his that are in color, that's one of the great things oh, to watch. It's so the, beautiful the to look color's at. color's all over beautiful. the place. Very nicely designed, you know, by the art directors, Richard uh, – who was it? the art directors were on that were um, uh, who were they George? Um, but wasn't Edith, Edith Head did the uh, she did the costume? Yeah, costume. just beautiful. We're talking about the Nutty Professor on Filmically Perfect on ninety one three WYSO, and I do have to say, although I'm still trying to figure out exactly how I feel about this movie, uh, I was my interest was piqued on the on the little teasers that they gave about Cinderella. Cinderella is really interesting too. That's, yeah. that's a good movie. That's a Frank Tashlin film. I think it was one of his, and that. 
And I, I wanted to mention also that that was one of his big influences was Frank Tashlin, who started out as a co- cartoon director at Warner Brothers, and uh-huh. did the girl can't help it. Back to the cartoon. And then, oh. um, and well, then he's, yeah, he's one of our favorite directors. Right, and in fact, uh, Lewis is so inspired by Tashlin that in the Aaron Boy, he named his character Morty Tashman. So in his, from him, he gets the gag, the way of, of sequencing gags. But, uh, yeah, the art director on Night Professor was Hal, Hal Piera. There's another guy, probably the set uh, decorator. Walter, Walter Tyler. Yeah, Walter Tyler and Hal Piera, who'd done a lot of movies. Those guys did a lot of movies as two art directors. Hey, by the way, we, we're going to have to wrap up here, but I wanted to point something else that occurred to me. I remember Jerry Lewis saying this, my heavens, must have been 20 years ago by now, that uh, the Academy are a bunch of snobs, and the proof of this is that there is no category for comedy for an Academy Award. And, and right. think about it. It's true. Isn't that odd but half and the people bizarre? that called him snobs are no longer around, and his movie is still here being watched. Right. Still being here. Don't Which, you think, George? Uh, yeah. He, he, I mean, he'll be appreciated for years and years to come, and I think new audiences will begin to to see him, uh, will begin to discover him, probably in a whole new light, you know, yeah. 40 years down and people the road. will look at this movie and say, what in the heck is this culture? You know, what's going on here? Because yeah. everybody kind of thinks of the Beatles of the 60s. But this is very much the early 1960s here. We got uh, just a few seconds left, gentlemen. Uh, we have some really sweet things to give away. Let's uh, also quickly say what we'll be doing next week on Film Weekly Perfect here on WYSO. Yeah, hey, next, George. Yeah. <laughs> next week we're going to dig up a film, and this was actually recommended to us um, by one of our one of our listeners, yes. and and we it's wholly agree with it. I, I I'm embarrassed to say that I had actually I hadn't thought of this one before, but it is a perfect little film. It is. It's perfect. another short. Uh, it was made in 1933. It by starred, one of the greatest comic actors. It stars one of the all time one of the gods of of screen god. comedy. <laughs> he was a god. W. C. Fields. Yes. Sure. Oh, my mama loves him. And it's a short that he made for Max Sennett, and it is called The Fatal Glass of Beer. And you and know, just the title alone. <laughs> already, rule it is a, three. People will yes, know who he is. It is a, it is a short. It is a short that was was reviled when it came out. But we'll tell you. We'll tell you all about it next week. Please stop by the website perfectmovie.net. You can write to the film guys at filmguys at perfectmovie.net, or of course, stop by the WYSO website wyso.org. Connect back. Let us know what you think. And filmically perfect every Friday at twelve fifteen. <laughs> Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.